Previously on Nerd Punches Nerd. So what was your favorite part? <laughs> Marty McQuiet? Back. Yeah, that's right. Marty hey, sick. That's right. When he called up, he's like, hey, Herb, Herb Planet, I- I've got the <laughs> superhero you've been looking for. Your cousin, Captain. Hello and welcome to Nerd Punches Nerd, the only podcast for a bunch of nerds who pretend to physically fight over minor pop culture minutia. I'm Jeremy, here with Benji and Sam. Hello. Say hello. Say hello. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. And today we're going to be talking about one of our favorite movies and uh, some other things attached to said movie. That's right, we're talking about The Matrix. Does it have you? You may remember that the the Matrix has you, of course, was one of their advertising slogans. And you may also remember that the Matrix was a little confusing for some people, by which I mean other people. Other people besides Jeremy, of course. Well, what I, was, I, was what I remember too. from it was before the movie came out, they had these, you know, the previews. And the previews didn't tell you anything about, like, what the movie was about. Yeah. Yeah. In fact... In fact, I remember um, it was it was cool because I I forgotten the concept when uh, uh, between the time that I heard it and then when I saw it because I had a friend of mine I was like in fifth or sixth grade and um, he came over to hang out and he told me about this cool movie The Matrix I'd seen it, like like um, previews for it and, and he told me the whole concept and I forgot about it fortunately when I uh, about what the concept was when I started watching it I was like that's a pretty cool concept and I just remember the commercials where you see in the middle of Morpheus going free your mind, and then leaping, you know. Yes, you that? yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So, go, and, go ahead. And Jeremy. that famous line, you know, of course, no one can be told what the Matrix yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. You have no, to see it yourself. As it turns out, that's not entirely accurate, but it was a cool line. Yes. Before we get going, we're going to play a quick little What If, which is one of our classic games. And today, because of, of course, our big theme, we're going to take some of our friends, the directors and creators of the Matrix movies, the Wachowskis. They used to be Wachowski brothers, now is Wachowski brother and sister. And, you know, we don't really need to get into that right now. But the important thing is what our topic is. So the topic is remakes. As some people may know, the Wachowskis, as their follow-up to the Matrix movies, remade the classic cartoon Speed Racer which was a crappy Japanese cartoon that was turned into a crappy American version. With John Goodman. (laughs) He did have a cool... I saw a little clip where he really kicks some ass with a helmet. I was talking about the cartoon. But yes, he was in the movie. And, you know, it had some stylistic choices. A lot of people younger than... I mean, older than any of us saw that because it was, you know, a later 70s thing. But our question becomes this. If you could choose one crappy cartoon show, it could be you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, even 90s, for them to remake, which one would it be? And who would Hugo Weaving play? Now, Hugo Weaving, of course, being one of the characters or actors that the Wachowskis love to use. He hasn't been in everything, but he's been in enough. So, I think... He's played... He's played. You should say who he's played. Yeah, he was in V for Vendetta. 
He was in Cloud Atlas, and he was also in the Matrix movies, of course. And he played... Agent Smith in the Matrix and, movies. And he played and v. v for Vendetta, and he played many characters, usually bad guys, in Cloud Atlas, where everyone played multiple characters. So, I think we'll go in order of whose hair is the shortest to longest. Shortest to longest. <laughs> okay. I'm talking not facial hair, you know, regular hair. Um, uh, my yes. hair might be the shortest. I, I did yeah. just get a haircut a couple of weeks ago. All right. Well, then I think I think it's you, Sam. All right, I think mine is longest because I need a haircut. Okay. So, uh, I think we got our order. <laughs> well, mine right. goes up now, and yours goes just kind of moves out a little bit, Jeremy. But soon mine will be poofing out like Wolverine. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Sam. You're gonna have the the Wolverine fro. It happens in my hair. Like I have an almost Jufro. That that's the way I look at it. So it just it goes sort of out into the sides, and uh, if it eventually just grows out, it spikes up a little bit and goes out like in, in the corners like Logan. <laughs> Unfortunately, I've not been able to grow adamantium um, uh, claws. Can you can yeah. you grow the mutton chops at least? Um, I've been working on it. I'm working on it. When, once uh, I hit puberty, what do you call it? The, the, whiskers, something like that. <laughs> whiskers. Whiskers. Yeah. <laughs> you said mutton chops. That was mutton chops are way funnier. No, I think I'm going more in the direction of becoming uh, like our late president William Howard Taft. Is that is that his name? Uh, <laughs> yes. Was it William Howard Taft? If that's if yeah, you're thinking of Taft, then yes. What if there, Taft... there was a president with that name? <laughs> what if Taft had adamantium? He was fat as hell as anything, but he had those adamantium claws. Then he'd be way more badass. It's. I yeah yeah, but it would probably hurt a lot, and he'd keep getting cut. Because remember, Wolverine <laughs> also has the healing factor, so he can you know heal after he sticks the claws out of his hands every time. Well, I think they modeled Wolverine after Taft. I'm pretty sure. I so. I think they did. Yeah, his facial features. All right. right, all right, Sam. Anyway, um, go ahead. I believe it's my turn, so I'm going to go first, and I would like to see the Wachowski siblings um, remake. <laughs> He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Now, I know that there already was a live-action version of Masters of the Universe. Um, now, maybe people, some people don't know that. But there was one. It was called Masters of the Universe. It had Dolph Lundgren, who basically is the real-life He-Man. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't very good at all, and it wasn't particularly faithful to the cartoon. But I feel like the Wachowski brothers really could do something cool with it. And Hugo Weaving, of course, would play... Um, Prince Adam's trusted sidekick, Man at Arms. Ah, uh, okay. I thought you were going to say Orko. <laughs> well, the problem is the voice doesn't really match. No, you're right. I think Man at Arms is actually. I mean, I'm I'm going for a more traditional sort of uh, casting here because I want this to be a faithful adaptation. Yes, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I, okay. Initially, I thought of Skeletor, but. You know, yeah. Skeletor really has that kind of like really shrill voice that I don't associate with Hugo Weaving. So, but I, I think, think Hugo Weaving could pull it off. And I think he could be he could be badass at it. The issue with Hugo Weaving, and I guess this sort of segues into what I was going to say. Or do you have more you were going to say, Sam? Oh, um, uh, that's all. You go ahead, please. Um, is it's interesting because you know I think of Hugo Weaving first and foremost as Agent Smith, which I think a lot of people do if they know Hugo Weaving at least. Um, but the thing is, is that he's played a lot of good guys primarily, um, and and he was so great as a villain that it would be interesting to see him as Skeletor. And he can do mask acting, which is a skill. You know, he did it very well in V for Vendetta, 
And, like, that is a subset of, like, acting, and, like, actors will, will talk about it. Like, the mask acting is a specific skill uh, to master. Not everyone can do it. And he would probably wear a mask for Skeletor. Or or maybe, or actually, Skeletor w- w- did just have a, uh, he, he was a skull. He was just a skull, right. Uh, <laughs> good, good logic right there, he man. <laughs> talking skull. Um, yeah, okay. And he was ripped. <laughs> He, he, had, was, he was. Jeremy, he was. He was the most a, muscular skeleton in history, I think. Right. Well, Jeremy had some pretty cool um, a, a He-Man action figures. I remember growing up, that I played with a lot. That actually lasted pretty a pretty long time. And um, he had a Skeletor one, which I really liked, and a He-Man one. Um, and and um, yeah, I had one that was like also Joel had one. Triclide or three eyes or that's right. Like that. That's and right. What was interesting is that the legs broke off. But then we got to, we basically turned him into like a floating guy. Yeah. So oh, I didn't realize he wasn't well. floating. Yeah. yeah we, 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 that's great. Because remember, we pretended he was like kind of um um this like sort of magical magical sprite or whatever. Like he could like do magic, but he's also kind of a creature, kind of like a Final Fantasy Black Mage uh, sort of sort of guy. That's the way I kind of looked at him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know yeah. What I'm saying? So, you know, it's called the creativity of children. Ah, indeed, indeed. Yeah. Well, actually, Orko was very similar to to like the Final Fantasy Black Mage, in and uh, in, you know just in the way he looked, with his you know wide brimmed That's hat right. that was like pulled over his. But who head. copied who? Mm, dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, so I'll go into mine. Um, this is a show that I actually enjoyed at the time, but I've realized later on that it's shitty, which is uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. I think. Um, um, I, I I probably would enjoy it if I watched it again. Um, but you, you gotta admit that there were some some issues with it, and um and um you know maybe I'm shooting myself in the foot by saying this because maybe I'll watch it again and be like, oh, this was amazing. But anyway, I don't think it was um, amazing. It was it was weird though. It was like it's it was a good kind of you know uh, ADHD type if if you want to use that kind of yeah you know slightly politically incorrect phrasing. This idea you know was, basically just kept throwing a lot of random stuff at you. So it's kind of th- fun for kids. And it's I, yeah, I, I, funny because of all the slapstick, but it doesn't really work. And it only really works because I think you're, if you're a kid, you can appreciate it. Well, he had educational messages at the end of each at the end of each episode. Oh well, you, um, probably, you may not remember, but at the time there was actually like a push, and there was a certain amount of educational requirement that. Of all course, I remember. They had to. Of have. course, I remember. That was in everything that you watched as a kid. Everything from like the sitcoms to the, the cartoon shows. It was it was at the end of every episode. You just expected it. But anyway, um, I I think I I I remember really enjoying the show. I remember in first grade, just really like I even made up a song in my head because I would like go to Joel's like later, and I was really excited. I was just thinking, "Get the day going, Sonic the Hedgehog," and I just sing it to myself over and over again. That's that's what I did in first grade. Anyway, right. so Hugo uh, Weaving play awesome. Ro- Robot- Sonic Robotnik. I, I think he'd be a great Robotnik. I think he would laugh raucously. I think he'd have this belly. I mean, he put on a fat suit, of course. Remember, he's got he's got those uh, he's got those shades. He's the kind of Mister like like Agent Smith, and he'd be like, um, uh, what would he say? He'd be he'd be like, I'll get you next time, Mister Hedgehog. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I like. Is it Mr. Hedgehog or Mr. The Hedgehog? Mr. The Hedgehog. <laughs> I'll get you next time, Mr. The Hedgehog. Yeah, and he can he can do a laugh, and like I think the Wachowski was the reason why I didn't pick He Man was because 
I, I don't, I haven't seen the Wachowski brothers really approach anything fantasy related. I've seen them do sci-fi, you know, just in, in general. I think, you know, Mobius is kind of this, like, is definitely this weird world. And I think they could do, definitely they have some visual skills and I think they could do some cool stuff. I mean, imagine just some cool fight scenes with, with Sonic and Tails. You know what I mean? And, and there, there'd be a lot of, there'd be a lot of cool things happening. And, and, um, it's just kind of an aesthetically interesting world, and who knows what like the explanation for Mobius would be, or what it would be, or or whether or whether they'd try to because they try to put some commentary at least at least into Viva Vendetta and and the Matrix, and who knows like what they would do with that if they just if it would just be a different world where they comment on Robotnik and he represents something else, or if Mo- Mobius is some weird alternate reality. So I think there could be something interesting. Any thoughts about who would play Sonic? Uh, Julia White, of course. Julio White. Wait, did he play Sonic? Yeah, he did. Be, did that I do that? <laughs> God, who, who, who would be good to play uh, Sonic? I don't know. I mean, because you need to have like a frenetic, crazed actor. <laughs> I was just thinking Quentin Tarantino, just because of Quentin Tarantino. I don't think he has quite the physical physicality needed for that role. Uh, yeah. But Woody Allen. <laughs> I'm just thinking of neurotic people. <laughs> it's not neurotic we're looking for. It's frenetic. Who's a who's a frenetic actor? I mean, I mean, you could pick a young actor. I mean, I don't know. Like, I was gonna say like Stephen Fry, but he's way too old. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. That's a good call. No, I mean, like, would Chris Evans like be good? Like, I mean, listen, he pro- he probably could do it, but I feel like it's I don't know. We'd have to think about that. All right, well, let's let's move on. Katniss Everdeen. That's a fictional character. So, <laughs> so I was thinking about a, originally G.I. Joe and like Cobra Commander, but then I realized that there already was a movie that was made, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt played Cobra Commander in the best acting in the movie. So I thought, oh, well. Really? Joseph Gordon-Levitt? I know, and he was actually by far the best, which probably isn't a surprise, considering you had other luminaries such as Marlon Wayans and Channing Tatum in it, but uh, the movie was all right for what it was. But then I came up with, I think, a better idea: Captain Planet. Oh, Ooh. nicely done! I can't even think about that. There's, there's a lot of characters I think Hugo Weaving could play. I mean, you have so many great villains. You know, Duke Nukem. Well, he obviously can't play. Greedly. Did you say Duke Nukem? I know, I know. I... <laughs> <laughs> there was actually some legal stuff that it turned out that they were still allowed to use it. Uh, but there was actually a guy named Luton Plunder who looked who looks a lot like Hugo Weaving. And okay, I was gonna say obviously you can't play Captain Planet because that's already oh, no, Don, no. Don Cheadle, you know, has got that covered. <laughs> no, that, that's fine. But, well, but I also don't. I, I feel like Hugo Weaving can't be Captain Planet. It doesn't doesn't work. You need him to play someone sinister. So either you do that Luton Plunder guy who is the sort of the normal looking human, or Captain he, Pollution, or. Yes, right, Captain Pollution. I think he could definitely do a good job of that. <laughs> what a great name for a villain, by the way, Captain Pollution. <laughs> <laughs> well, Captain Pollution was, you know, how our powers of evil combined. Captain, Captain Pollution. Captain Pollution. It's a good name. It's not the greatest. The greatest supervillain name of all time is from the movie uh, Mystery Men, and it's Castlevania Frankenstein. Um, that's actually, uh, Jeremy is, I think, I believe Mystery Man's one of your favorite movies. Um, yeah. one of your favorite obscure movies, I should say. It was actually Casanova um, Frankenstein, but... Is it? Oh, it's Casanova Frankenstein? That's, you're right. It's not Castlevania Frankenstein. It's Casanova Frankenstein. All right, so let's move on. 
to talking about the Matrix. All right. And I think we, obviously, All right. we should just start by talking about the first movie. I think most people have seen it, that see movies. I guess I should clarify. Obviously, I think there is a generational divide. Like, once you get above a certain age, I don't think it's so common. But certainly among people like 50 and, and below, up down to maybe college age. Because probably now there are definitely college kids who may not have seen it yet. I mean, I, I already told you guys the story about how uh, my old uh, roommate Billfords showed his uh, girlfriend at the time, The Matrix, who hadn't seen it. Yes. So I feel like it's just, uh, I think, yeah, it's not necessarily indicative of anything, but I think that that could definitely happen just because it's not as, you know, present nowadays. And I think, I've heard Bendy talk about before how he thinks that some of the passion for it and the interest in it has waned because of the disappointment people had towards the sequels. But the truth is, I feel like the first movie still holds up as one of the best sci-fi movies ever for sure yeah i i agree and i think that i think you're probably right about the sequels kind of diminishing diminishing it in people's minds Mm -hmm. because the the first movie is really solid and like when you go back and watch it again it's still like it's still gripping it's still like just quality filmmaking There, there are things i did notice that are that have become like tropes um since then um uh-huh. that you know and and some of the special effects are are a little dated definitely true but but but, but just everything that happens in it it's just it moves so well as a movie like everything about it and it's got everything it's like every single part of it has got a ton of shit in there without it bogging you down at all yeah it's like there's there's like there's like almost zero drag it's pretty it's much zero drag well, what you're what you're describing is that it has great structure and right. pacing yeah. You know, like it's just it's just put together. It's well constructed, and yeah. it, it just keeps things moving forward. You know what? You know it has it has the right sort of like you know occasionally things like slow down. You get these contemplative moments, and then like you get back to the action and stuff. But it's just it's just a well made movie. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It has a very good structure to the screenplay, and it has a very good resolution and ending. Which isn't necessarily easy, because a lot of times you'll have movies that are enjoyable, but you kind of get to the end, you're like, oh, well. Eh. Or or really cool, they have really cool ideas, especially ones that have like really cool ideas and there there isn't a satisfying ending. I mean, I just find in general that satisfying endings are, are, hard, are hard to come by. Well, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to posit a theory that the reason that the Matrix ending is is good is because they didn't try to do something unpredictable. Essentially... Like the ending, they told you what was going to happen, mm-hmm. right? It's yeah. all—it's like in the middle of the movie, they tell you how it's going to end, right? It's uh-huh. not a surprise, but mm-hmm. it's just like the way that it, the way that they manage to like make you think that maybe it's not going to happen and then it does, and you know, it's just uh, it's it's powerful, um, and it doesn't rely on like some kind of twist or you know like an alternate ending or you know something silly like that. You know, it, well, it, I mean, it, it it delivers on its promise. It gives you yeah. exactly what it told you it was going to give you. Although the and it's, no and it's twist satisfying. isn't entirely accurate. I mean, the twist is essentially that he could sur- you know, survive being killed in the Matrix, which nobody else right. can. Right. But and also also that he could... Building, it, it, it has built up to that, though. Part, part of it is that, is that what, what's right, cool and unexpected... I forget, the, I forget the technical term for it, but there's a name for the moment 
that you know close to the end where it seems like all hope is lost. Um, you know, this is like a standard, a standard like writing. All hope trope. is lost. Rock bottom. And- I yeah. heard all hope is lost is is the term. Right. I'm not sure that there's another term for it. I don't. I don't know exactly. Like I've I've seen it referenced, and I've, maybe that's the term that I'm thinking of. It's just the all hope is lost moment. But that's like a standard storytelling trope that's existed for hundreds of years. But I, um, I, I think you know, and it's and it's like a standard part of storytelling, and they and you know they played it straight. But they just did it well. Right. Well, I think I think what's important about it is that you know the basic story of what's going to happen, but it's that all the individuals. It, this is rare for a movie. It's like, like, like you have a good you have a good concept, but the individual steps that are going on aren't really taking you in any cool direction. And you see, like, with like Neo's character, it's like each part, like he takes a little step, a step forward, like like two steps forward, one step back, kind of. You know what I mean? And it's kind of like. It, you keep peeling back like layers of, of the onion, you know, each time he, he goes forward and it's like, he gets better, but this thing sets him back. He gets better and he realizes more and more. And what's great about the last moment in the, in the movie or when he realizes and sees it is that he, he decodes everything. So it's like, you think, you think his ultimate thing is that he has to train, you know, and then he has to be good. Then he has to stand up then he has to fight. And he has that moment, but then, you know, it, it stops in a second and he, you know, when, uh, when he, when he throws, uh, Smith in front of the train, he really just has a moment and he has to run and then he's running for his life again and then he gets killed and then he sees it for what it really is. And it's a powerful moment because, because he just had to like physically fight, he had to understand it in terms of how to be an, like an ultimate, like an ultimate person in the matrix. But then he saw like the code for what it was and it was yeah. just, it was also just a really good development about, like, you know, like, if you're talking about, like, if it's relatability in any way, it's kind of like you going through this process where you keep, once again, peeling back layers of the onion, you know, you think you have to master this, and there's this next level. And I think another thing that really helps the movie that really picks it up, maybe not towards the end, but towards but towards the middle, is the Oracle. That whole thing of the Oracle, I think, like, like I don't want to say save the movie, but it did so much to put it to the next level because that... At the, the, the actress's performance, she was so good at being like this kind of like, you know, uh, sort of like, wise, not wisecracking, but the sort of like mom, like he was, he was kind of, I guess, kind of wisecracking, but also had this like deep wisdom, you know, and it was just. And she wasn't, it, she wasn't what we expected. Exactly. When we were told, oh, you're going to visit the Oracle. Like it's, it's sort of a little off-putting yeah. that it, it turns out to be this like. You know, kind of snarky older black lady. Oh yeah, yeah. remember what she says? <laughs> she says, "You're not the one." Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Which is sort yeah. of a, an interesting, an interesting way to play it. I think we were talking about before. You know, this um, this low point. You know, the all is lost. You know, the major setback. I mean, I think a lot of people use a lot of ways to put that, but I think the getting to that point was required to have all these little things that happened. Now, how do we get there? You know, there was the, well, listen, hey, you're not the one. If you choose to, you know, let him, Morpheus will sacrifice himself for you because he believes you are. And then at the same time, of course, the machines are coming to kill them. And then it all sort of culminates in him getting killed, seemingly. So... I think there's more, you know, you have a couple places where you know, it's it's not quite as this is the one all hope is lost moment, but I think it, the biggest one is right near the end, which isn't that normal for a script. Normally, it's earlier on. What the know. all hope is lost moment? Yeah, I think it's I think it's very common for it to be like very close to the end. It's and if you have like five acts, or maybe maybe be, not 
in Act Four. Maybe not. I, I guess in the Matrix, it actually happened. Like it's it's like you know five minutes before the end of the movie. So yeah, what that's, I'm saying is like late. if you were to say like if you like a typical structure is like five acts. Right. Normally, it would be in the fourth. In this case, right. it's in the fifth. Right. So it's a little bit different. Which you know, what does it really do? It basically gives us two all hope is lost because the first one is with Morpheus, and the second one is where he dies, and it seems more like, well, is he actually going to die? And we don't really know. And of course, yeah. they give us the interesting reversal of Sleeping Beauty, where true love's kiss essentially you could make the argument, is what brings him back. Yeah. That is, like, the one part of the movie... I, I don't have a problem with it, because the rest of the movie works well, well, but, like, that's, like, the one part of the movie that, like, that, that like, I was like, eh, really? Like, well, were they were they that in love? I, like, it wasn't about being in love. It was about the human connection. It was the, the thing that makes um, Neo become the one is having the connection, having the human connection. The thing that helps... The, oh, Trinity... Well, the thing that brings it back. Yeah. It's the thing that brings yeah. it back is you know, seeing other people, is being connected to other people. Because we see at the very beginning of the movie, you know, he's very isolated. Right. He's yeah. all about, you know, he's all about these conspiracy theories, trying to find out who Trinity and Morpheus are. And Morpheus? You know, he's caught up inside his own head. <laughs> yeah. And he has to learn at the end of the movie to value other people, and not only that, but to value them more than himself. And yeah. I think that's part of some of the issues that happen in the sequels, but we'll get to that when we get to that. Yeah. But I think definitely, you know, you have a... It's just interesting. It's nice to be able to have sort of a, a little bit of the the uh, role reversal from a, a gender perspective to the Sleeping yeah. Beauty thing. Because yeah. that's kind of what I'm saying. I think I think that's totally intentional too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I actually hadn't thought of it from the the Sleeping Beauty angle, but that's that is interesting. And you're right yeah. about it being sort of a role, a, a gender reversal, which is cool. Yeah, and I yeah. think there's also a lot of other interesting things to think about. I mean, I'm going I'm to get into the what if in a, in, a, in a minute, but I think you could definitely, it, although it's played up even more later on, in the beginning, you know, Trinity is sort of given a, a slightly androgynous look. Right. You know, even at the beginning, you know, you know, said, I thought you were a dude. Most dudes do, which of course is an interesting little take on the whole sexist way that people are in general. And then when she whispers in the ear, she's like, I actually have a secret penis. That's what she whispers in his ear. It's but, the question and the penis that drives us near. Of course, Keanu Reeves <laughs> is also portrayed kind of androgynously. Yeah. And most of the characters are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, part of it is just sort of the aesthetic. Of it is well, the aesthetic also, movie. also, I but mean, I think like it's intentional. Well, well, no matter what, it's it's kind of like, um, you know, it, definitely the artist creating it is going to have some sort of impact on it. So, for instance, like if I'm going to go to like Fight Club, you know, not a lot of people know this, but the guy who wrote Fight Club, Chuck Palahniuk, is gay. And even though it's not, it's not a it th- those characters in Fight Club aren't supposed to be gay um, at all. Like there's still this like this not almost almost homoerotic thing going on. Like I mean, there's this, there's like these like connections between the men you know what i mean it's all about the men the getting together there's, there's yeah 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 it's, it's definitely there and you know like 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 you know uh edward Norton getting jealous of uh jared leto's character who looks kind of pretty you know that, that whole thing saying i want to destroy something beautiful anyway and then they live together and like they like whatever and then and and and, and then you know with the wachowski siblings you know i mean one of one of them was like 
questioning her gender or yeah. sexuality. I mean, I'm assuming, or, or who knows, who knows what was going on inside inside her head. I'm I'm not presuming that I knew what's going on with her, but but still, I mean, like I I imagine that that affects it. I don't know if they were trying to make a point about it, but I I think that's an interesting uh, aesthetic to it, and I think that does affect it. So I think that it's both of those things. I think they like thought the aesthetic was cool, and I think they also wanted to play a little bit around with gender roles. You know, in a certain sense. Not like in a huge way, because obviously they still had the hero be a guy. Right. But so, they but they definitely yeah, but... wanted Trinity to be sort of like a more kick ass type of character yes, and like, you know, not, well, remember... not not an effeminate character, even though she is like you know, I mean she's not like a lesbian or whatever. Like she's you know, she's a female, you know, heteronormative character, but she's tough and sort of um you know, like macho at the same time. Do you do you remember how like one of the one of the early lines in the movie is that the the police the police uh, lieutenant like says like uh, like I I think we can uh, handle one little girl and he's like he's like lieutenant your men are already dead. <laughs> and they're probably raped as well. Yeah. <laughs> did you did you know that actually the um uh uh the movie was filmed in Sydney I believe it was filmed in Australia. Oh well, that makes sense, but it's interesting. Anyway, um, so yeah, yeah, it's um, uh, I I think I think another good thing about the movie is that so it, it there's so many it also broke through so many barriers in a, on a number of different areas. I mean, there's aesthetically special effects wise, which is kind of a subset of it, with the ideas that were there. Like ideas has I don't think had even been presented in movies in that way before. Uh, I guess I guess that's it. Ideas and just conceptually, I mean, people refer to the movie. I mean, like people who are like. There yeah. were there were a couple of other movies. Actually, the problem is I don't. I'm, Jeremy might have to look this up right now. Um, but there were a couple of other movies that had like sort of similar concepts that came out around the same time or possibly a little afterwards. One of them was called The Thirteenth Floor, and the other one was called Dark City. Stay tuned for part three of the podcast.
Stay tuned for part three of the podcast.